Hi, I'm Erin O'Hara, Executive Director of the Tennessee Education Research Alliance. And I'm Laura Booker. I'm a professor at Vanderbilt University's Peabody College, and I'm in the Department of Leadership, Policy, and Organizations. And welcome to the second episode of season two of the 10th period. We started this podcast uh, now, I guess, two years ago, and we've been doing it continuously until most recently we hit the uh, the COVID period, which we'll talk about a bunch on, on, this, uh, on the podcast today. But the 10th period is a podcast designed to talk about education research and education policy in Tennessee. Um, and we're excited today to be able to have some conversation about what we learned over the course of the last several months um, about the school closure period in Tennessee um, and what happened uh, as districts and schools were thinking about how to offer school to kids during that period, what were teachers experiencing. And we're going to talk a little bit about actually sort of what people are wrestling with as we're looking to open up. So the world is very different than it was last time we talked. Laura and I are in our own home, um, but we're recording the podcast being able to look at each other, which is really nice still. Um, and we're looking forward to having some good conversations. Um, and today we're going to be having Susan Patrick and Erlika Newsom, who are both from Tara and both former teachers. And they analyzed the COVID-19 responses from the Tennessee Educator Survey. And we'll be sharing a little bit about what they found and what teachers across the state said about their experiences. We'll also be talking to Laura Cassidy, who is a kindergarten teacher at Westmoreland Elementary in Sumner County um, and a TBOE teacher fellow. And then we'll also have Mike Hardy, who's Chief of Strategy and Data at the Tennessee Department of Education. And Mike will talk a little bit about more about the department's plans to support schools and districts as they work through the reopening challenges that we'll be facing this fall. So, Laura, every year we do this Tennessee Educator Survey. And in the survey, we ask all sorts of questions of teachers of their experience in their schools, questions about school climate, questions about professional learning experiences. Um, and this year, we had the survey in the field uh, starting at the end of February, which meant that when we got into the COVID school closure period in March, we actually had our survey out in the field with educators. And so that was um, a unique experience that allowed us to take teachers about what they were experiencing live in the moment. Um, and so during the month of April, we had uh, we reissued for teachers who had already taken the survey um, questions related to um, the COVID experience, so about what teachers were doing in terms of interaction with their kids, um, how teachers, uh, what, you know, sort of their biggest concerns were, how they were trying to provide remote learning, if they were able to provide remote learning. You know, I think we're sort of one of the only places in the country that's actually been able to do this and has data on the period of time. Um, in April when schools were closed. And I know as a parent, um, that was a, a tough time, as it will be this fall. And I know you have a kindergartner starting school as well. And um, it'll be interesting to talk to a kindergarten teacher about her experience. Yeah, I'm interested to hear it. I, I feel like my, my incoming kindergartner is just going to think this is what school looks like. Um, but I'm eager to hear from Erlika and Susan about what they found. And I know that this will be kind of a continued effort and process around continuing to collect data on this. Um, so let's bring in Erlika and Susan. Susan. 
So welcome, Susan and Erlika, to the 10th period. We're so glad you're here today to share with us the results from the Tennessee Educator Survey related to COVID-19. Could you start by just sharing some of the biggest takeaways from the responses? Um, yeah, absolutely. So we asked teachers about a couple in a couple about their needs in a couple areas. And so I would say most of the takeaways were based on their responses, both to the questions that we specifically asked about and their open-ended responses. And I'll let Erlika talk about the biggest takeaways from the open-ended responses. But in terms of the specific things that we asked about, I would say there are two big takeaways. Um, the first is that Teachers are very concerned, I think very rightfully so, about students, even their access to learning. So their ability to have the right technology and tools um, to access remote learning while schools are closed. And then also very concerned about their access to kind of basic needs. So things that are often provided at school, things like um, subsidized meals and counselors. And so really across the state, I mean, all types of schools, elementary versus high school, all types of school districts, rural districts, urban districts. Um, these were the top two concerns of teachers um, pretty much everywhere um, across the state. And then I think specifically a really big takeaway was around technology and a lot of concerns and access issues when it comes to technology. So we asked teachers specifically about what supports they would need to kind of promote remote learning um, for their students and far and away, the two things that were selected most often by teachers were better internet access for students and then reliable devices that students could use for remote learning. Um, and so this was the case in many types of districts, but we did see some patterns where it was, there was kind of an acute need. And so, especially when it comes to internet, um, rural schools, uh, schools in rural communities, especially those that don't have consistent access to high-speed internet. Um, this was a major concern of teachers in those communities um, having access to internet for their students. And then in schools that served more low-income students, um, greater need for reliable devices. So whether that's a Chromebook or a laptop or you know, something that students need to be able to access any sort of online learning um, that they're going to do. Erlka, can you, you looked at the open-ended responses. So Susan talked about the questions that were multiple choice where teachers had various options, but what kinds of things when teachers just had the opportunity to say, here's what I'm concerned about going forward, what kinds of things did you see? Exactly. Good morning. That's a great point. Um, one thing to note, like you mentioned, is that teachers have the option of saying anything. And while there were a variety of responses, there was some consistency and coherence with some of the comments that were made. Um, some key things, like Susan mentioned, is about teachers mentioned most frequently and most relevantly um, student needing access to internet and other curriculum resources was of concern. Uh, we also did a couple of uh, analyses where we looked at how often teachers mentioned words like internet or online or Zoom and found, as Susan mentioned, that many of the teachers in rural counties actually mentioned words like that more often, which is to say that they were concerned about having access to the internet. Um, and using online resources. Um, we also found that many of the teachers, like Susan mentioned as well, that um, live in maybe um, lower socioeconomically advantaged um, schools, um, their students, their teachers mentioned more often things like breakfast, lunch, meal, things of that nature. So two follow-up questions um, from what I'm hearing. Number one, 
I think it's so great that you've disaggregated reports by, you know, some of these key categories around what types of students and what the location is. Um, how do we make sure that we continue breaking down the data in those ways? And then also, what data do we need to continue collecting moving forward to con continue making sure that educators are having a voice and that we're collecting information so that we can respond and react to what we're hearing? I think using tools like um, like this natural language processing that we were able to use with this recent analysis and looking at the open-ended questions, um, I think that that definitely helps to give us some more insight. Um, I know we've really focused on the closed-ended questions a lot of times when it comes to our survey, but I think this adds another level of richness to understanding a little bit more about what teachers are feeling, what they're experiencing, and how we can better understand that to relate to um, public policy and things of that nature. Um, but I think in this particular case, there was a higher response on the open-ended question, and people wrote a lot, and clearly wrote a lot, like that they were deeply feeling about what was happening for them and their students. And so, you know, I think this is in a time of crisis like this, giving teachers an opportunity to feel like they can speak to people who then can kind of bring those thoughts together to a larger audience um, is really important. Um, I would also say a couple of key things that would be really helpful to kind of follow up on and learn more about. Um, one, getting back to internet access. So a lot of individual districts have been doing things like parent surveys, right? Asking parents about their own access to the internet or their own access to devices. But there are- I filled really... out one yesterday, just yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> and so there, but there, that isn't being systematically collected, right? So individual districts are doing it. I'm sure they're doing it in a ton of different ways. Um, but that information is really critical to understand like this issue of access. Um, and I would anticipate that there's going to be a lot of variation within districts, right? Lots of families who have access and what they need and lots of families who don't. But there's probably a lot of variation across districts, um, especially thinking about small rural districts um, that likely do not have um, as much internet capability because of the infrastructure in the area um, and may just not have as much capacity when it comes to technology, period. Um, so I would say like that is a major area where knowing more would help target resources um, to think about both in the immediate short term, like school is starting soon. If we're going to be remote for any period of time, what do we need? Um, but also for the long term, I mean, access to high-speed broadband is increasingly important, as we all know from many people working at home now who never worked at home before. Um, and so this is like a really important equity issue for communities. I think the other thing that's probably really important, um, we asked some in this survey about remote engagement. So how and to what extent are teachers um, engaging with their students while schools are closed? Um, it's looking like at least some schools are gonna remain shuttered for part of this upcoming school year. So I think knowing more about what that engagement looks like going into the school year will be really important. Um, and I know we've, we've all been thinking about kind of how to capture that. So I have one other question for you all about, this is something you, that you got into in the report. Um, can you talk a little bit about the teachers talked about where they were getting guidance and then also what additional guidance that they needed? Um, so, um, Susan, if you first could just talk about like the in the in the, uh, the sort of multiple choice questions and Erica, if you want to add anything from the um, from the open ended responses. 
So what we found is that overall across the entire state, teachers identified district-based guidance, so things coming from the district level, and online resources they sought themselves as their two top sources of guidance. Um, so certainly like an indication that teachers were getting some information from their district that was helping. Um, but they're going to, you know, many of them were saying, like, we also have to go seek out things on our own to be able to provide resources or materials for our students. Um, we also saw this um, varied some across school level. So, for example, comparing elementary versus high school teachers, um, elementary teachers were more likely to identify um, district guidance and less likely to say they were seeking out resources themselves. It was the flip for high school teachers where they are more likely to say they were seeking things out for themselves um, and less likely to say they were getting guidance from their district. And so this may be an indication that if you think about high school teachers, they're teaching a lot of different types of subjects. And so schools and districts may have had a harder time providing specific materials and resources for all of the different content areas that are taught in high school. Um, whereas in elementary school, it's a little bit easier um, to provide kind of general education resources that can work for a lot of elementary school teachers. Um, and then I'll turn it over to Erlika because we did get like some very specific information from how teachers like talked about their needs and the open-ended questions. Yeah. Um, so another one of the tools that we used in our um, natural language processing was topic analysis, uh, which basically looks for certain um, themes or topics that emerge from the data or, or emerge from the comments. Um, and so as a result, a cluster of keywords or related words are produced. Um, where the researcher can determine basically what's the overall topic um, as it relates to the keywords that are produced and any other comments that are associated with it. So one example of a topic that was found for some teachers, again, every, all the teachers didn't say this, but for some teachers, they would mark keywords like expectation, clear, district, communication, expected, consistent guidance, or guidelines, teacher, planning better. And so these were the keywords that were associated with um, that particular topic. And so we can conclude that some of the teachers um, did want and need more clear expectations and clear guidelines when it comes to, again, moving into the new, um, new era of remote learning, as well as even going back to school. That again, as Erlika said, like not every person mentioned this, but I think it came through really strongly when it came up is that not all students are being well-served by the guidance or the materials that districts are providing. And so in particular, a couple of things um, kind of stuck out in terms of teachers commenting on it. So one was students with disabilities, especially teachers who taught students with mild to or moderate to severe disabilities. Um, I mean, there were lots of comments from those teachers about how they felt like they weren't getting enough guidance, they weren't getting materials, they weren't getting support. They're very concerned about their students. Um, and then I think um, teachers in a lot of areas that are um, maybe don't translate well um, to an online learning environment. So pre-kindergarten teachers, kindergarten teachers, um, thinking about high school, certain high school subjects, especially like career and technical education teachers, um, art teachers. You know, there are a lot of teachers who talked about how they themselves, their content area is not well served by like a quick and easy transition to like, here are some online resources you can use. Um, and so I think those teachers in particular were seeking out more support and guidance. And just like um, Susan said, too, many of the teachers also wanted more training, wanted more professional development as it relates to remote learning. So that would be and also an indicator of needing some more information, more guidance, more help.
This is very helpful. And I hope that also district leaders and school leaders are hearing, you know, what you all are saying about this particular need for focus on uh, teachers who have students who are not necessarily able to serve their students via the transition to online education in the same way some other subjects might be and um, needing to think about those in, in different ways and also needing to think about like how we've got to redouble on our efforts around communication and guidance and thinking about what we need to provide our educators so that they can support our students um, is really helpful. Um, and just thank you to all of the teachers who took the survey and thank you to you both for your work that you did analyzing and distilling those, that information into usable uh, themes and takeaways. Um, I want to ask one last question of you both. Um, so what is it, you know, in your role as a researcher and in looking at this data and information that leaves you at least a little bit hopeful um, about, you know, some of the things that are coming out of um, the data that you've seen are coming out of researcher connections and community um, in regard to COVID-19. Um, Erlika, we'll start with you and then Susan. I'm hopeful that the information that we're gathering can help provide another opportunity for teachers, for principals, for counselors, all educators to um, have a voice and to make their voices heard uh, for people that need to hear it. Um, I'm excited about the fact that we're able to use so many different tools in order to lean into this information even more and um, provide the help that's needed for all these teachers across um, the state of Tennessee. I would say for me, um, reading through a lot of these comments, I mean, we had over 10,000 teacher comments, um, was so many teachers and leaders talking about like the things that they were able to do and like the hard, the really hard work that um, school staff was putting in. I mean, this is an incredibly challenging situation. And I think a lot of teachers and leaders went like way above and beyond to try to do everything they could to support their students. Yeah, I, as a parent of a rising fourth grader and fifth grader, um, I think you all nailed that, right? Like, it, this is so hard. Um, and it was hard for our kids in the spring, and my kids have a ton of resources available, and we have all the things available to us that, you know, teachers highlighted as issues here. Um, but I, I also was so impressed with how quickly, I mean, to think that everyone had to pivot on a dime. Um, to offer learning in a different way um, in the spring and to think about the way in which that was done um, leaves me hopeful for education more broadly. This has been really um, so educational for me and I even have read the report and heard you guys talk about it a bunch of times, but um, thank you for, um, for your insights um, and looking forward to more to come. So um, thanks for joining us and um, we'll, I'm sure, talk to you all again soon. Thank you both. Thanks. Thank you. So now we're going to welcome Laura Cassidy, who last year was a kindergarten teacher at Westmoreland Elementary in Sumner County, and is also a TDOE teacher fellow. Laura, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. After eight years in the classroom, seven in kindergarten, I decided to go back to school and get my EDS in reading. And so now I am a Title I reading teacher. So Laura, talk a little bit about what it was like to be uh, a teacher in the classroom last spring as schools were closed to kids, but still trying to do instruction. What was that experience like for you? Um, it was pretty difficult. Just um, every day was a little bit different. 
Um, some days were a little easier than others. We really tried to um, make contact with the kids. That was our biggest concern, just making sure that they were taken care of, that they had food, um, that they didn't need you know anything from us. Um, we had virtual faculty meetings and things that, that really touched on those kinds of areas. Um, but we had to, our biggest concern was making sure that we had contact with kids. Um, we were in a district, I'm in just in Sumner County that we didn't, um, mandate any kind of online learning. We had things available after the first couple of weeks. Um, but we didn't ask them specifically, you have to do these things. There were no attendance requirements or um, work requirements. So that was an interesting thing to have to kind of get around is trying to get the buy-in from parents and from kids. Um, because I think that it all made us a little bit better. We had to learn some new things and some new tricks. Um, but it was, it was a very difficult time because we just weren't sure where we were going at that time. So, so Laura, Erlika and Susan from Tara talked a little bit about the results from the Tennessee Educator Survey um, about asking teachers about what it was like in the spring and what their concerns were about um, digital learning. And one of the things they mentioned about the findings was that there were certain teachers, um, special education teachers, art teachers, and early grades teachers who were especially mentioning some challenges and um, some concerns around lack of guidance. What was your experience as someone who was, you know, teaching kindergarten um, like in terms of trying to connect it all with your students um, in a digital environment? And, you know, what are some of the same, you know, concerns and, how, uh, you know, moving forward in that space? The biggest concern was, I mean, when we left March 13th, we thought we were coming back in a week after spring break and we were just going to, you know, hit the, the ground running and these kids are going to be reading by the end of the year. Um, and that didn't happen. And that was one of my biggest frustrations was they're missing out so much. They're missing out so much. And so transitioning into an online platform, um, it was, it was really scary because, we weren't sure if they were getting anything out of it um, because with the early grades, there's a lot of foundational skills. You've got to be, you, you almost just have to be face-to-face um, to, to understand and what the kids are thinking and, and to get your knowledge imparted to them. Um, so that was really difficult. And I know that our, our fine arts teachers and uh, PE teachers and lots of other teachers, they had a lot of difficulty um, trying to figure out what is this going to look like for me? Um, because it's, it's not something that we're used to. Um, as educators, we're used to having 20 to 30 kids in our classroom and we're learning face to face and we're working hard every day. And it was really hard, especially with, with very lax expectations, or even some people didn't have any expectations of what it was going to look like. It was, it was an interesting time for sure. As you move into um, a, a different kind of roles, I mean, you, you've touched on a couple of like the key things in the report, right? Um, one first concern of teachers always is the health and safety of their kids, food, um, sort of the hierarchy of needs, right? But then, you know, especially in the early grades, um, not having the ability to be face-to-face and really get that instruction that you need is so critical. As you all think about transitioning now into um, this year, um, and you're potentially looking at some hybrid situations, um, that may happen at some point. 
what are the things that you've, you all have been really concerned about from the reading and literacy perspective? And how are you thinking about um, how to deliver instruction, especially given that schools were closed? I, you know, it's, it's going to be a game where we're just playing the trial and error. Hey, this works. Hey, this doesn't. Um, but a lot of things there, there's a lot of stuff online that you can use. There's videos, there's websites. Um, and, and not all of them are, are things that you have to pay for. Um, but, but we already used a lot of videos in kindergarten and for those foundational skills, just because people, kids learn better when things are in a song. Um, and so I think that that'll be even more used this year. Lots more videos, lots more links for them to do, especially if they're learning from home, uh, either on their hybrid days or if we go for fully virtual, um, which I assume is probably going to happen sooner rather than later. But um, just trying to, you know, make as many videos as possible so that they can see, you know, those foundational skills when you're talking about letter sounds, they've got to see your mouth. You've got to talk about mouth position and where your tongue goes, where your teeth go. Um, so they, they can't just hear it. They have to see that too. So there's going to be a lot of videos. There's going to be a lot of uh, links to videos that are not the teacher. Um, I'm fortunate that our, our district has really pushed um, our virtual platform for teachers to be trained on this summer so that we have that available if we need it. Um, and so we have the, the space to put those kinds of instructional materials but it's going to be um, it's going to be a learning curve for a lot of teachers, especially teachers who aren't technical. Um, given where you've been now as a teacher, now you're a fellow at the department. What are sort of your thoughts on broadly guidance from district, guidance from the state, places that teachers really need uh, more help, and and what could be done? I think first and foremost is just the districts need to make need to make sure that teachers are trained and ready to implement because there's no doubt in my mind that at some point in this year, we're going, we're going to be sent home. Somebody's going to be learning virtually and we've got to be able to support those students. Um, it's not acceptable to just not get those kids involved. Um, so I think a lot of that comes from the district, but there's going to be a lot of, a lot of information that needs to come from the state too, just about, um, you know, are we still counting attendance? Are we still, um, mandating, you know, the, the curriculum, um, are we still looking at, uh, are we still looking at assessment? Are we still doing the tea and ready tests or are kindergarten and pre-K teachers and some of the other, um, teachers doing the, the student growth portfolio? We've got to, we've got to get, um, on the same page about that. And I do believe that the state is working on trying to get that guidance to uh, districts. I know that they said, you know, attendance is mandatory. We still have to do that. Um, yes, we're still working on the curriculum just as if we were in school. Um, but I know that the testing, the portfolio, all of that is still kind of up in the air, but that's something that we, we have time for that. Um, we don't have time to see, are we going to start school? Are we going to make sure that kids are learning? Those are things that they're non-negotiables. They, they have to happen right now. Um, and that's, that's even beyond the district, beyond the state department of education. It goes to the legislature and to infrastructure, um, in the state as a whole. Yeah, you definitely are hitting on something, um, around like, you know, just the need for intense communication and partnership across multiple sources. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that I feel like, you know, we're always important, but are even, you know, that much more important now that we are in this time. Um, Laura, what, you know, there's so much to be concerned about and there's so much right now that is incredibly hard. Is there anything that you are hopeful about or that you feel like going through this experience as an educator that, you know, you're feeling like this actually might, you know, lead to some positive change? Absolutely. I really think, um, you know, this world is becoming more technical day by day. Um, More and more things are happening online. Um, I mean, we're meeting right now online. Um, And so I think it's really good that we're starting that kind of instruction, even down in kindergarten. Uh, You know, my students, if we get sent home, they're still expected to use their Google Classroom. They're still expected to do their work and and do that on, on a device. And I think that's that's learning that they're getting at an early age and I can't even imagine where it's going to be by the time that they're high school seniors and then going to college and then graduating college. You know, they've got some, some real experience coming in this year. Um, and not only for them, but also for teachers. I mean, it's going to change the way that we approach learning. Um, there might be a lot more people that are going to be uh, doing virtual learning and that's, that's okay. If they can learn that way and they can find teachers to teach that way, I think that's awesome. Because the, the the whole thing is just teaching kids. Let's teach them something. Let's get them to learn. Laura, I I can't say enough. Um, I mean, as a, a parent, um, how grateful I think all parents are um, for the work that you and your colleagues are doing and being on the front lines in what is the most difficult time I think we've ever experienced educationally. Um, and you're right. I mean, we just have to, kids need to keep learning and however we do that and however imperfect it might be in the starts and stops, um, we need to keep listening to our educators as well. And so, um, so grateful for you spending this time with us, um, for you taking the survey every year, which I know you have, um, cause we <laughs> talked about it before. Um, and for hopefully you all, you know, continuing to, um, to raise your voices on issues that really matter. And we, uh, we promise to continue to ask as frequently as we can questions of educators to make sure that principals and superintendents, especially, but also the department of education knows what you guys are thinking. So thanks for spending time with us today. Good luck for as, me. You, uh, as you, as you, take on this year um, and thanks for everything you're doing so now we have mike hardy chief of strategy and data from the tennessee department of education joining us mike thanks for joining us today can you tell us just um quickly about how you ended up in your current role at the department what's your sort of most immediate background yeah, um, I had kind of a circuitous route from electrical engineering to through education to education administration. And um, recent years, I've been working with um, superintendents in in uh, in various states with their assessment, accountability, and programming. And that experience led me to to have a, a stronger point of view that, about how we can best support the districts and leaders. And um, and I really admired um, uh, Commissioner Schwinn's work uh, in Texas uh, at, because that's where I came from. And um, when she when she reached out to me, um, I know that her and my values around providing positive impact to district aligned, and so I jumped at the opportunity. So, Mike, what were your biggest takeaways from the 
COVID responses to the educator survey? I think the biggest takeaway is one that I think we we anticipated is just how much um, having access to for both teachers and students access to devices and connectivity so they can they can maintain some two-way communication and instructional relationship in some kind of meaningful way um another big takeaway was around just like having throwing people into this this new paradigm of looking for opportunities for remote learning just you know how hard it is to find quality resources and um and and put together a plan for this because it's it's it takes it takes a lot of effort to set up things like this and and I think our educators were working so hard and they deserve they deserve all the praise in the world for making do with just like the rolling with the punch of one of the toughest punches that this or any generation alive perhaps this is definitely a defining time for all of us and I think that came through loud and clear. So, Mike, what do you see as the state's role in supporting the teachers in that work and supporting the districts and supporting the schools? What did the state do in the spring and what are you thinking you will continue doing moving forward? We know that this has caused a lot of disruption. So um, in response to surveys and, uh, and, and information and feedback that we've gotten from educators, um, I mean, first, we, we recognize that we're not a telecom company and we, you know, we don't have internet that we can just bestow. And so we were looking for some creative solutions for at the very outset to help with the kids that maybe didn't have any kind of access um, or districts that didn't have devices or, or availability. So starting in the spring in response to all this, we, we launched Teaching Tennessee, which was uh, we have 320 classroom lessons from first to eighth grade um, that were aired daily on PBS, and they can still be found on, on our department's YouTube page. That was to help smooth just like the abrupt transition. Um, and, since, and, and since the time, we've been producing a lot of reopening toolkits and guidance and remote instruction toolkits and guidance. Um, so closure toolkits, opening toolkits. Uh, and these are, are designed to help educators on finding resources, finding structures, finding recommendations um, so that districts can make a coherent plan. Other things that we've, we've really pushed for is, is we know that just having good materials is tricky. So we, we work to get a partnership with Ready Rosie which is an online learning tool. And it's, it's geared towards those youngest students that are, that are very difficult to teach remotely. It, it will never be a replacement for a first grade teacher or a kindergarten teacher, but it, is, it would be a tool that, that parents can use or partner with schools, um, open to all Tennessee parents. Um, I'd say another big thing that came as a result of this is, is the department has, has, partnered with Tribeca University to provide free digital learning and teaching to all Tennessee teachers. So, so basically training on how to, how to do remote instruction, use technology to enhance learning outcomes and, and other things. And it's all, it's all self-paced online, free um, through, through 
uh, I, up through Labor Day. Mike, I'm, I'm curious about in your role um, as uh, your focus in a lot of ways is on data and assessment and accountability and some of these types of things, research as well. What are the big questions? Uh, what were the big questions from the spring? Um, did you get sort of answers to that out of the survey or out of other data you all collected? And then what are your big questions for the fall? The big questions, I guess, kind of remain the same. It's it's one, are all children safe and healthy? And then two, are they learning? And um, and how do we how do we keep them safe and healthy? And how do we ensure that they are learning, no matter what the environment is, no matter what the context that they live in is? And I mean, those two questions don't go away. They 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 just they're increase in complexity. You know, we first started seeing closures and closing down. We put a lot of effort to partner with one of our, our current um, partners to make a meal finder service. So, so students who needed, you know, daily meals and nutrition, like they were taken care of. And we, and so that was like something right off the bat. We knew that that was a driving question, making sure students were safe and healthy. And part of that is just making sure that their basic needs are met. And um, I mean, we were able to jump on that very, very quickly, provide a lot of uh, leadership and guidance that have have really benefited uh, folks. There are a lot of other needs that fall into the bucket of students being, you know, taken care of more so than just having food in their stomachs. And, you know, we, we are still working to prioritize deeply we've i mean we know that there's going to be um mental health and emotional health uh challenges um just due to the like the stress of like what is it to live in a pandemic and be a six-year-old you know and um so one thing that we've pushed really hard on and and um are taking some leadership is we have a um, child well-being task force that um, brings in a lot of stakeholders from across the state to try to uh, address and prioritize this really complex area of of need that you know there has been explicit support but not in this context not in the context of a pandemic with and um, kind of to the need and the extent that we see is needed now so what it, what are you, as you look toward the fall, um, I think it's, you know, obviously there are tons of concerns, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we could talk about our concerns all day long. Yeah. What are you excited about? Is there anything you sort of feel like, gosh, you know, I think I'm excited that we've learned about this thing. We're going to move in this direction, or I'm excited to see how, you know, this kind of thing happens. What is it that you're, that has you feeling hopeful at the moment? So right now districts are, um, they're preparing their, uh, basically their, their continuous learning plans, like their plan for, so now what, what if the, you know, if this continues or what should we do in order to do remote or not remote or some combination of those things? And every district is is different, has different needs. And so something that actually makes me feel hopeful is, is the department has, has been 
you know, communicate, we communicate with superintendents three times a week on, on scheduled calls. And, um, but we have, we've are providing one-on-one -on -one support for districts through office hours for these continuous learning plans to give, you know, superintendents or districts the extra attention and focus and thought partnership and, and support that they need. Um, and so we've, we've had to reprioritize a lot of folks time and effort at the department to be responsive. Because uh, if there's anything that that we can say, it's like, we, we don't have all the answers. We don't know what is, is best, but we can definitely reprioritize to, you know, help every district be their best selves as much as possible, give them the time and attention that they need so they have a, a plan that works for them. And there's going to be a lot of learning going into this next school year. You're definitely in unchartered territory, and I agree with you that I think the renewed focus in, uh, on communication and the learning from each other and what's working well is a great place for the State Department to play a role in terms of like doing that communication. And we just want to thank you so much for taking the time to communicate with us today about what the State Department's role is in this work and how the work is moving forward. So Laura, that brings us to the end of our second episode of the second season of the 10th period, which is uh, occurring in a period of time that I think obviously was really unanticipated. Um, I think we learned a lot today about what we know about what teachers are experiencing, um, the actual experience of an individual teacher and, and sort of what the Department of Education is thinking about. What were your biggest takeaways? So we are in the middle of a pandemic, a pandemic that is affecting certain populations uh, more than it is affecting other populations. And this is just hard. In some ways, it has felt like we've had to throw everything out the window and start over. And I know that I feel that way as somebody who is teaching in the higher education space. And I know that K-12, it you know feels that way. There's even more challenges um, you know, in that space, uh, depending on how you look at it. Um, really hearing today, I heard you know that communication and partnership across multiple levels and learning from each other, you know, giving grace, um, you know, and, you know, being understanding of the situations. Uh, I really am thinking a lot about this whole, like, making sure that teachers are trained and then making sure that students have devices that and computers because, you know, we're in a space right now where we don't know what the future is going to look like in terms of cases, but we can need to be prepared for virtual instruction. And that means making sure that we are, you know, ha our students have internet access, our, our students have devices, and that our teachers who are going to be responsible for interacting with students synchronously or asynchronously, that they have the training that they need and that they have the guidance that they need. Yeah, I, uh, the thing you said about grace um, feels so important to me because there's uh, there's so many moving parts um, and so many different ways um, in, in which people are having to think about adapting. Um, I also am struck by and have been throughout the process of, of sort of doing this survey, have, working with Susan and Ehrlich on analyzing the results, talking to the Department of Education about what we've seen and, and talking to the educator fellows and other educators about the results this issue of sort of hierarchy of needs, right? That kids, we need to make sure, and this is what folks were doing in the spring. We have to absolutely make sure that kids are fed 
are safe, are taken care of, and teachers as well, right? Um, mental health is as uh, is is critically important as is um, as is physical health. And then once we solve those first order problems, then they're the first order problems of uh, of the education, especially if it's online, which means devices, means internet access. Um, and then it means after that, once we've solved all of those problems, then we can start thinking about the quality of instruction. Uh, and that's really hard, but that's sort of the order in which order of operations that teachers laid out for us in the survey. And it seems it's the order of operations that districts and schools are, are doing. You know, I'm also struck by just the importance of um, the school district as a, a governance structure, as a guidance structure, um, as a place that teachers are going for the resources. Um, and the same things around schools. I think there's a lot the state can be doing, but really a lot of these decisions and a lot of the um, critical nature of it happens at the school and district level. Um, and so with that, we'll wrap up the um, this episode of the 10th period. Uh, for those of you who have been regular listeners, you know we've done these generally about once a month um, in the first season. The second season has been um, in the COVID season. And so therefore things are just a little bit different, but um, we are getting back on track and we have a couple of um, podcasts that we are in the process of scheduling now. Um, and so we're grateful to you, our listeners. Um, and we'll be coming back with more information on things like um, educator uh, mentoring. We'll talk about um, more results from the Tennessee Educator Survey um, and we'll have um, some other great episodes coming. And so Laura Booker, thanks so much for being my co-host and uh, we'll see you all again here soon. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.